Welcome to All Electric Conversations, where we talk with pioneers in traveling with electric vehicles. We're your hosts, Katie and Steve Krivolovic of the All Electric family. From road trips and towing to daily life, we'll hear stories of wanderlust and progress to inspire your own adventures with All Electric Conversations. Welcome back to another all-electric family conversation. I guess it's all-electric conversations. And today we have Nick with us. Uh, he's from Evergy, and let's just hear from him. Tell us a little bit about you. Sure, thanks. My name is Nick Vorce. I manage the electrification team at Evergy. And basically, we are a team that exists to support our customers as they electrify, we have a manager who is dedicated to helping our commercial customers as they electrify their vehicle fleets. We also have a manager who is responsible for the care and feeding of the clean charge network, our network of public charging stations. And also we have a number of programs in the residential space, residential rebates, time of use rates that she also looks after. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. It's kind of all of the stuff that I think Steve and I wish we had the time to dive into and learn more about and research and figure out, but you know, we just don't have the time through all of the other stuff that we're doing to really dig deep into it like we want to. Yeah, so we feel very blessed to have you on here and learn more about it. One of the hot topics um, nowadays is kind of government funding for charging and uh, charging infrastructure. So yeah. I would ask a little bit of high level stuff about that. What what are you seeing coming down the pipe and uh, what you yes. see moving forward? Sure, I can, I, I can speak to that a bit. There was the, uh, the passing of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, which is IIJA, or alternatively, it's known as the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law. And it includes about seven and a half billion dollars to expand public charging infrastructure. About $5 billion of that is aimed at our interstates, our, our, our major highway corridors. So what we're going to see over the next several years are charging stations that are being built. Uh, in the end, we should have a charging station every 50 miles along our major highway corridors. Each of those charging stations is, in order to get the federal money, is going to have at least four charging ports capable of 150 kW simultaneously. So each of these sites should be capable of 600 kW of charging power um, in, at a given time, right? And construction of these, Missouri, Kansas, uh, I think Kansas is running a little ahead of Missouri as far as our service territory is concerned. Kansas, we probably are going to see construction start at the first one of those sites late this year, maybe into next year. Missouri, I don't think that we're going to see any sites uh, commence construction before 2024, but uh, this is going to be a multi-year build out. It's going to build literally dozens of DC fast charge stations across the nation. That's exciting. Beyond that, we have two and a half billion dollars that is dedicated to community charging or other use cases, if you will. So municipalities, uh, businesses, lots of different entities are going to be eligible to apply for grants to help them install charging um, at their facilities. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, 
in, on so many levels. One, you know, being in the Midwest, being from Nebraska, we know how much is needed, how much charging is needed in these areas. And to hear every 50 miles, like that's just, I mean, we can go anywhere. It's a game changer, can, right? Yeah, we can do anything. We can pull any trailer yeah. we want to, you know? Like, right. Yeah. That is amazing. And then also to have funding for people to put in charging at their own, you know, facilities or places of work and that kind of thing. That's really cool too, because I mean, it's such a benefit to have that there. Um, especially if you're working in a place like, or if you live in a place like an apartment or something where you can't install your own charger, just to mm -hmm. have them in more places, just it, that's where we need to be headed. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. And what, what we're finding is that, you know, Evergy, like a lot of utilities, has our own set of incentives. And certain of these federal programs, they just dovetail really nice with our incentives to make, you know, for a really powerful grant application where that applicant can say, um, I'm going to take advantage of my utilities incentives to help fund this project, um, which gives the federal government that much more assurance that the project is sound which makes it even more competitive, you know, in, in, the, in the grant space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So with the commercial side of it, do you know, like, are you guys offering incentives? Because is it, is it owner operators reach out to you guys for assistance in installing some of these DC fast chargers? Or is it something different than that? Yeah, so, so the federal program is administered by the state departments of transportation. So in our service territory, we'll have KDOT and MoDOT that are going to be soliciting uh, respondents saying, hey, I'm putting out a request for a proposal for a given area. Uh, I want to put a DC fast charge site in there. And they will literally you know, collect proposals from owner operators to build and operate those sites. Um, those, those folks who apply or, or who submit proposals, they're gonna be working with their local utility to understand the costs of running power to those sites, the cost of the energy once those sites get up and running. So we're definitely in the mix, but we're kind of in the background. I see. And uh, who do you see or can you see doing something like this is it gas stations is it you know somebody with a retail shop is it a bank like i don't, i guess i don't know do, do you have any insight into that who would be reaching out yeah th there are uh, you know, there there are a certain number of businesses who exist for the express purpose of building and operating charge stations in this day and age a big name in the middle of the country is francis energy and they're out of oklahoma and they have done this. They've literally built, you know, hundreds of charging sites using Volkswagen fund money. That's a whole nother podcast, right? Where we had this, this tranche of money from the Volkswagen settlement that has been used quite effectively to build charging sites. Um, so Francis Energy is one. We do expect that these sites will end up in a lot of cases co-located with existing gas stations because boom there's your amenity amenities right and bathrooms and all that jazz will it be the gas stations themselves that go after the money i think that that will be the exception to the rule i think you're going to have a a different entity that installs that charging site 
again, co-located with the gas station. Yeah. Cause it does appear like from my standpoint, what you said, somebody's gonna, you know, coincide or coexist with the gas station, like EVgo and pilot. I saw that they had, a you know, some sort of cooperation together, but you know, just something like that or the, somebody that's actually in the DC fast charging game, so to speak. Uh, right. It right. is going to go in there. So that's interesting. Yeah. So somebody who can go in there and, you know, put in a purchase for a thousand charging stations, right. With, with the OEM and gives them some purchasing power from a price perspective and from a delivery perspective, because, you know, I don't know what y'all do, but uh, you know, in, in, in our world, supply chain, is a challenge. And uh, the, the thing about these charging stations is that there's not that many parts to them. So it's not like building a, a, a Sam's Club or a Costco where it takes, it literally takes, you know, the better part of a year to build the, the building. And so, you know, if you have a component that takes 10 months to arrive, eh, no big deal. Well, these charging sites, I mean, you can, once you have all the pieces and parts, you can throw that sucker up in a few weeks, right? So if you're waiting a year, a year and a half for the charging station itself or for the transformer, all of a sudden that, that determines when that site goes into operation. Hmm. So with that being said, are, are, you seen it more on the a supply chain or maybe you didn't say that but i heard it is maybe there's a supply chain issue with because uh, you guys have to bring utilities in. maybe we should start there like you guys got to bring a bunch of infrastructure before you actually put a dc fast charger in there and you guys are responsible for that correct mm -hmm. right right and maintaining yep. that and so yes. is there uh backlog on some of those some of that equipment that's going to be needed for this yeah we are already um we are already working on our end i'm sure that we're, what we're doing is you know emblematic of what other utilities are doing when we're trying to foresee you know what the distribution network hardware needs are going to be for these charging stations and, and we're going to try to pursue some of that hardware in advance that way we're not critical path for that charging site that's interesting definitely because there are i mean the the large transformers that are involved and things like that i mean you can easily get into lead times of well over a year really wow, wow. yeah yeah and how big of a site would something like that is it if you had four stalls providing that 150 kw like would the would you need that big of a transformer? Yeah, so that 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 site you're probably looking at, you know, probably a 750, uh, 750 kVA is what it's called, transformer. Um, you know, and to give you an idea, uh, and check check me next time you go through the McDonald's drive-through to get that one dollar drink. Um, you know, McDonald's typically has like a hundred and fifty kVA transformer. So so you're talking about five times that for one of these highway corridor sites really puts things into perspective. Yeah, and that's not even including the McDonald's or gas station that's nearby. You that's know, right. That's, that's so right. That's and you can imagine uh, Nebraska, pretty good example of, you know, these stations needing to go in in areas where there's just not a lot of electrical infrastructure. 
Yeah. So it can be very expensive. Just, just the utilities side of getting juice physically to that location, that can be super expensive. Yeah. And I mean, I'm assuming because there are some of the charters that, you know, have like the battery storage and stuff within them mm -hmm. themselves. But I mean, do, does any of these grants, like, can they utilize that type of a charger or is that going to be out of the question because of just the sheer number that they have to have in that space? They can, but there's nothing in the program that would disallow them from an approach that also utilizes a battery. And in some cases, those remote cases, to your point, Katie, uh, that, that might make sense because then, then I don't need to run 600 kilowatts of, of juice to that site. Maybe I just need to run 150 or 200 kilowatts and I use that on-site battery, it, kind of, it becomes the wide spot in the line, right? It's, um, it's, it's the big pool that stores the energy and then the cars come in and they take their little bits. That's, I mean, from a utility perspective, and, and I am definitely not alone in this. I've talked to my peers on this and over the long run, that, that we believe, a lot of us believe is the answer, is not, not to run a bigger pipe, to these sites, but to run a smaller pipe that, that fills, you know, that battery, that large on-site battery. Um, that's going to become increasingly economical as the price of those stationary batteries goes down. And there's a lot of drivers that are in play right now that are going to bring the cost of those batteries down. Yeah, that's really interesting because that's kind of how, you know, I guess I first saw it was needing a lot more batteries and stuff for storage, not being an expert at all in this area. But, you know, you just hear about certain things at the grid and stuff like that. And so hopefully that can help. I don't know if the right word is stabilize the grid, but I think, you know, make it more of an even flow of energy in and so there's some other cool applications, not that we have to talk with you about it, but like when we were out at CES talking to uh, FreeWire, they were talking how they would potentially like it to power the gas station, let's say, that was there um, if the power went out or something like that, like assisting with some of those things. And so that, that plays along um, with all of that stuff and help stabilizing, you know, so it's very interesting, but it will mean that we have to ramp up production of batteries too. So it's just <laughs> in a different area. And I think a multi-prong approach is obviously the answer, but. Yeah. And one, one of the, the neat things that's going on in this space, when we think about the federal support that I talked about earlier for EVs is that there's, federal support in the bipartisan infrastructure law and also the Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA, um, there, there is federal support really all up and down the supply chain for EVs. Included therein is support for research, development, and manufacturing of batteries. And of doing that here in America, you know, one of the kind of strategic goals of these humongous federal laws that doesn't get talked about a lot is to create kind of a vertical, a supply chain vertical 
in America to decrease our reliance on materials and technologies from countries that might not necessarily be friendly to America. And this is a strategic goal that Europe had. Europe saw this, or they, they at least started moving on this much earlier than America. Five years ago, Europe was putting together a consortium to say, hey, we need to be able to make batteries within Europe so that we can kind of control our own destiny and not depend on countries that might not be friendly to us. America wasn't at the wheel for a long time, but we're at the wheel now. And we are formal, for really mobilized and funded to create uh, much of the supply chain for electric vehicles and associated technologies like stationary batteries to do all that within America. Yeah, that would be, I mean, everybody loves, you know, the American made and, and having to not rely on that because it just, it just takes so many what ifs out of the equation and makes it just so much more simple, like, you know, yeah. just easier. Yeah, exactly. With all the issues of having things shipped over, which I think we're still having, you know, that, that gets eliminated when you, yeah. when you have that vertical integration you're talking about. That's right. And even the new, you know, the, the uh, new vehicle, new EV tax credit, the, the kind of the reimagined tax credit that that is going to be kicking in later this year. There are lots of, of caveats to, to getting that tax credit that, that you know, look, when looked at all together, they really it, it makes it to where that credit is not available to all EVs. But those those conditions that they have put on that tax credit are America friendly conditions like the EV needs to be built in certain places. The materials that are in the battery need to come from certain places. So, again, these are all things that as a consumer, they're not very convenient because, again, it kind of decreases the number of eligible vehicles. But there's a strategic goal that is that is being pursued through those conditions. And as a result, I would just add, you know, you've got, there's chatter about companies who aren't making EVs in America right now, potentially moving some production stateside for the express purpose of being able to take advantage of these tax credits and to stay competitive in the American market. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense from a business standpoint that, you know, they're going to want to take advantage of that. I mean, some of these incentives are pretty high. I mean, especially once they're able to get the vehicle costs down and actually be able to sell at a more manageable price tag, $7,500 is going to be a lot of money off of a vehicle. So, the, the, Yeah. The, the, yeah. The, the idea you can get a Chevy Bolt for under $20,000 with, with a 75, I mean, that's, that's powerful, right? That is, that's pretty compelling. Uh, business case that's that's cheap transportation <laughs> yes yeah I'm I mean if you live in the Midwest where power's cheap I mean cheaper um, mm -hmm. you know I don't know about too much other parts of the country other than California I heard San Diego is gonna be really crazy with their prices but you know if you're here it's like <laughs> this is crazy you know you need six dollars basically or eight bucks six to eight bucks for 300 miles <laughs> like mm -hmm. holy cow yeah so yeah so so when gas was almost five dollars a gallon uh you know here here in kansas city well it got well, well over four anyway 
Um, and you know, I, I, I have an EV and, um, I just, I didn't really want to talk about how cheap it was. I was almost embarrassed how cheap it was to fuel my vehicle at that point in time. You know, especially if you have, if you have access to a time of use rate where you can charge from say midnight to six and it's, you know, in, in the Midwest, it's somewhere between a nickel and a dime a kilowatt hour. I mean, that math works every day of the week. Gosh. Yep. Yep. I mean, we're a two full, two, like fully electric, two cars doing all the stuff that we need to do. And when we switched over to the, to having fully EV, I think we went up what, like a hundred dollars a month or something on our electric bill, well, like yeah, over. We had two, two versus zero. Yeah. Yeah. So, so and that's for the whole month, a hundred dollars worth of, yeah. for our fuel. That's, you know, what our F-350 took to fill up one time. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, huh? Was, was, was your was your F-350 a diesel on top of everything else? Oh, my Lord. Yeah. So Big switch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so with, um, you know, talking about diesels and all that stuff, let's kind of move into maybe the environmental side of stuff. How, sure. how do you see now with how EVs are for the environment, uh, and then also into the future. Yeah. So, so what I, what I like to talk about is how, uh, maybe not from your perspective, because you guys are so, you know, kind of tip of the spear and you're, you're pioneers, right. From, from the EV perspective, especially in these parts. Right. But, but for a lot of us, it's like, it seems like you wake, you woke up one day and all of a sudden you can't avoid EVs, right. You turn on the TV, and there's EV commercial, you know, when you're watching the cheese game, because everybody's watching the cheese game, right? And, or, or, or it's on the news, they're talking about EVs. You go to the grocery store and you see EVs and it just feels like it happens all of a sudden. It's like, why? And, and I think there's a few reasons why. And one is that the, the technology is just getting increasingly good, right? And it's just, a, it, it's just a good fit or a superior fit for an increasing number of use cases. Not every use case, you guys know that, Far better than I do, but for an increasing number of use cases, an EV is just a superior fit. But also, you have companies that are pursuing sustainability goals. Some of them have commercials about them, like Amazon, and some of them don't. They're they're doing it on a much more low key basis. And EVs are a powerful way for a entity to pursue its sustainability targets. And in Kansas, driving an EV produces the CO2 emissions equivalent to a gas vehicle that gets 68 miles to the gallon. Those are averages, um, but that's, that's powerful. We know that the transportation sector creates the most greenhouse gas emissions of any sector in our economy. It has surpassed the electric generation sector. So one practical consequence of the transportation sector being such a big piece of that pie is that you cannot decarbonize our economy. You can't achieve that deep decarbonization of our economy unless you decarbonize both the electric generation sector and the transportation sector. And of course, they kind of go hand in hand when it, electric vehicles are that bridge, right? And the less carbon intensive, the cleaner our electric generation sector gets, then by extension, the cleaner the transportation sector gets. So EVs are a, a critical, a necessary component of deep decarbonization economy-wide. 
Nice. Yeah. So can you can you speak to that side of it as it gets cleaner? You know, energy production gets cleaner. How how quickly is that getting cleaner? I guess. Well, I would say that a lot of progress has been made. Uh, utilities like to they like to peg their progress to oh what's the baseline year it's it's in the paris accords you know what we're not going to worry about it today but what i will tell you is that in in recent years utilities like like evergy have have seen decreases in our greenhouse gas emissions uh, you know north of 30 percent i would say that uh, you know if you were to do a survey of like of similar utilities most utilities are trying to get to um like a net zero type goal somewhere around 2040, 2050. So that's what folks are shooting for. Now, that being said, it's going to take some enabling technologies in order to do that. And by enabling, I mean technologies that don't really exist at scale today. Uh, but but I think that we've all been alive long enough to, to appreciate the fact that in, in 15, 20 years, a lot can happen on the technology side. I mean, I like to say I've been around so long in the power industry that I remember making fun of wind turbines because I was one of the people doing it, right? And in the early 2000s, you know, I was one of those one of those short-sighted fellers who's like, those ain't gonna ever amount to anything, you know, right? And you turn around and it's 20 years later and there are days in the Southwest power pool, which is what provides, you know, power in from, you know, a, a stretch from North Dakota down to the Texas panhandle. There are days where conceivably wind could supply all of the energy for certain hours of the day. They can't do that from a technical perspective. So they don't allow that to happen when they're managing the grid. But the point is that the amount of wind generation available exceeds the demand. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, and it's, it's cool to think about because I think it's on so many different levels where when, you know, because we have pieces of the technology that are already there, that are already working, they're already in place. And so as soon as that, you know, gap gets bridged, how much further we'll be along, you know, when that happens, it's, it's kind of cool when you start thinking about it and thinking about all the different components that are coming together to, to create yeah. this change that's happening and, and how it will almost feel like a light switch has been flipped at some point where we're like, oh, hey, look at, look at where we are now, you know? Yeah, it's, it is a really exciting time to be, you know, in, in the utility industry. So many years, I mean, there are previous generations of utility workers literally worked their entire professional career and did one thing and they did that for 30 years let's say you know i worked in a power plant and that power plant you know started up in 1975 and i started in it and then i retired in 2005 and that's all i did every day of my career right and i had a good career with great benefits and great retirement and that's awesome is you know it's also one thing now there's just so much more dynamic dynamicism I, I if that's not a word it's a word today um in the utility industry where uh i mean it's it's daunting really at times and you guys you guys know this better than i do that the rate of innovation and the volume of information that is being generated in the ev space is super hard to keep up with right 
it's hard. There's a lot of stuff. And staying kind of at the edge of it is a job. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Well, staying at the edge of it and, and, and navigating it all because, you know, you're hearing it's hard to figure out which is the correct information that you're hearing. And then you have to go in and, and dig in and find out, is this the correct answer or is this what the agenda of one of one side yeah. of the story is that what they're pushing yeah. and to go mm-hmm. figure out what is true and what is real it's i mean it can be exhausting to figure it out and you know for a lot of people i think they don't even want to dig into that side they just want it to to be as easy and as effortless as gas has been for decades at this point you know and so um it, it takes people getting out there talking about it having conversations and and seeing it just happen and normal everyday people doing it to to make it where it does feel like that to to people that don't want to put the effort into it because i you know i don't blame them it's not going to be everybody's um the thing that excites them you know so it's a lot of education and and getting it figured out to be had by i think the general public so to speak yeah you know yeah, there's a lot of things that go into delivering that gas yeah. to the gas station, refining it, all that stuff. So mm-hmm. I think people kind of lose sight of that. But like to go to like efficiencies and stuff like that with wind generation, what you were talking about, um, I don't know how much more room there is to gain with efficiencies, but my assumption is there's going to be more efficiencies or l- less efficiencies. Sorry. Uh, to be able to generate more power from the same amount of wind we have and same with solar and all these different uh, ways of producing energy. Like we're just going to get more efficient with it. And so, and the side of electric vehicles too, they're going to become more efficient. Like if you really think about it, some of the more modern uh, iterations of motors and stuff like that aren't really that old. And so it'll be interesting to see what we come up with down the road, you know, with. Yeah, that absolutely. The technology is going to, uh, the technology is going to progress just like anything else. Um, I, I, I liken it to buying a computer in like the nineties where you bought a computer, you paid $2,000 for it, and then you just kind of need to put your blinders on because a year later, there's going to be a computer out and it's going to be 50% faster and it's going to have twice as much memory and it's going to be $2,000. Yep, right? Yeah. Yep. And or the big screen TVs or all of that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. Thank you for bringing us into a 21st century example. Whereas yeah. I was yeah. talking about like the Ice Age. I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, very similar thing with EVs. We ought to expect that, you know, a year, two years from now, there's going to be cars on the market that, you know, just are amazing and amazing advances compared to the ones that, that you know, we have, right? Yeah. Well, take, for instance, a 800 volt system that's uh, on mm-hmm. some of these newer ones. Like my right. understanding of that is, is more efficient because of heat loss and all that mm-hmm. stuff, like electrically and I would assume it's probably easier on your guys' equipment too. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but like I know it doesn't take less energy, but well, maybe it does, like efficiency, I guess. But yeah, so DC fast charge is kind of inherently efficient. 
um, from an uh, from an electrical point of view. Uh, I, I would say, and and what I think is one of the maybe not to overstate it, but what one of the holy grails of EV charging is to get that DC fast charge curve to look like the two the level two fat, uh, charging curve, right? Like when you plug your car in, and uh, you know it's got it's pulling eleven kW on a level two charger, and uh, it's going to be like this. It's going to do that for four hours, right? Um, DC fast charge someday, it's going to do that, right? At 200 kW, it's going to do that. And that's that's going to be amazing. Right. Right. It's not going to, it's not going to do what it does today, which is, oh, man, 250 kW, that's awesome. Oh, my gosh, what's happening right now? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that I call that the point when Steve's ready to go. Like it goes like this, and it starts going, and then that's when I start hearing him. Okay, are we ready? Are we ready? Are we, yeah. It's time. Let's go. It's yeah, <laughs> we'll get to the next one. <laughs> so. Especially with them fifty miles apart, that's gonna be worse. <laughs> yeah, he'll never stay anywhere. <laughs> oh, I know. I was gonna ask. Do you, do you feel like that one hundred and fifty kW? Do you feel like that's what people are gonna shoot for? And if so, do you feel like that's enough to sustain the future? I think what we're going to see, uh, let's start with the end. No, the answer is no to the latter. Um, I think what we're going to see is we're going to see stations that where you can show up and there's multiple ports here. You're just gonna have to. You're just gonna have to imagine that my fingers are ports, guys. I can't do better than this in the moment. And if there's cars in every one of them, then except for one, you park at that one and you get 150. But if there's no car right beside you, you get 300. Because the cords that that machine is hooked up to can deliver two 150s, if need be, or one 300, if there's only one car hooked up to that machine. That's what I think we're gonna see quite a bit of. Yeah, it makes the most sense. Yeah. Yeah, I hope that 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 I know there's some units being produced that do that exact same mm -hmm. thing. So. Yeah, absolutely. That that technology has been around for a while. I mean, nothing, nothing in the space has been around for you know <laughs> a decade, but uh, yeah. it's been around. <laughs> it's been around long enough. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So, and then so what? What type of use cases do we see for that level two chargers? And do you feel like that's going to come in and be just as big as the DC fast charging? Or I guess, how do you view that? Yeah, so, so I think the question is about kind of public level two charging. And uh, where, where, where is it a good fit? Um, I think it's a good fit at places like workplaces phenomenal phenomenal um parks places that inherently customers have a long dwell time at um i can make an argument for grocery stores um you know there, pe people knock the oh well you know you're charging it it's seven kw and you're there for you know half an hour forty five minutes you know whoop de doo you got four four five kilowatt hours three or four or five kilowatt hours well if if I have a plug in hybrid 
that I can get maybe 30 miles before it kicks over to gas. And I'm bebopping around my neighborhood because a lot of us, the majority of the time, stay within, you know, a what, five mile radius of kind of our, um, that is, that can keep me on electric. Like that little shot of juice gives me 10 miles of range on my plug-in hybrid. So it can, I can avoid kicking over to gas just by getting that little bit. So I think that there's a use case there, um, even if people are uh, a lot of times only going to be charging for, you know, say 45 minutes or so. Um, what else for, for public level two? I mean, multifamily is, I, I would kind of, it, that's a cousin of, of public level two. And that's a tough nut to crack. Utilities are, um, you know, employing all sorts of approaches to uh, multifamily, to apartment complexes, things of that nature. But um, that's, that's one of the tougher applications for charging right now from a utility perspective for, for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. I'm sure. Um, it, yeah, I don't even know where to try to go with that. <laughs> yeah. you know, what, what are the difficulties? Yeah, so, well, I mean, the first is that, you know, you, you got logistics of, of people paying for it, of, you know, are people just going to hang out in the spots forever? Is there sufficient demand to warrant the investment? Um, that is certainly a, uh, a consideration. And then just the logistics of getting power to a centralized place in an apartment complex. So, you know, it's just, it's just an application that's kind of rife with complexities. It's like, well, it's, it's, it's an application where a lot of the complexities that might show up in onesies or twosies and other applications, they all, they all show up for that party. Yeah. It is. It's a lot of, a lot of pieces to put together and, and, and figure out. And, and it is a limitation, you know, as far as getting electrified, because obviously there are a lot of people in multifamily dwellings that, you know, mm -hmm. are, and that's, something we see a lot in our comments as well. I live in an apartment, so I can't have an EV yet, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that type of a thing. So it is a big limit. So hopefully somewhere along the line, all of those little pieces can come together to, with a good solution. Yeah, I would say that the, the, the market for that is going to increase as the, um, you know, as the OEMs produce an increasing number of affordable EVs, right? Right now, we, we talked about the bolt earlier that you can get for under 20 with the rebate. Well, we need five alternatives to the bolt, right? Imagine if there was a half dozen EVs that you could get for, you know, 20 plus or minus a couple of grand. Game changer. Total game changer. It's just, it'll be a no-brainer for some people when it gets to that point because you are saving, you know, on fuel from the day-to-day -day and all that stuff. So... Yeah, it would be a huge step to get if we had alternatives, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they're coming. They're coming. I mean, the the uh, there's 200, I don't know, between 200 and $250 billion worth of investment has been announced in America related to EVs. And that is going to manifest itself in cars that are increasingly diverse and increasingly capable. I mean, it's an, it's... 
it is a natural consequence of just that level of investment in the auto industry. Well, you see it and you see it so quickly, you know, being in the Midwest, being in Lincoln, Nebraska, for us, we're kind of in the tail end of seeing some of these EVs come. I mean, I know there's places like, you know, Montana that probably have less than we <laughs> yeah, do, sure. but, um, you know, just driving around, even over the course of the last year, where I would go days on end, besides maybe a Tesla, but otherwise for an EV from another manufacturer, I would be, you know, would not see any. And now, you know, you see multiple daily and yeah. it like literally over the course of a year that has happened, which is mind blowing yes. to think about, you know? So, uh, I mean, we went from, we got our Rivian in May and now if we go outside of our little five mile bubble, <laughs> you know, we see another Rivian in town over the course of from May until now. So it's just happening so fast. Um, and it, it's awesome to see. And it is just mind blowing how quickly it's all coming. You, yeah. you see the, the fruits of those efforts. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So, it's, you know, same thing in Kansas City. We're not materially different than, than Lincoln in that regard. We have five uh, five dual port charging stations here at the building that I'm in in downtown Kansas City. So we have 10 ports, five stations, and um, I park by them. I, I, I stalk them. Okay. I stalk the charging stations at this building. So I have been, I've been gathering anecdotal data for the almost however long I've been in this job. And that first day, you know, when, when I started this job in 2020, in February, you know, Tesla's a bolt and a leaf. Okay. Tesla's bolt and a leaf. And then man, one day, you know, I showed up maybe a year ago, I don't know, whatever it was. And there's like six different makes along that row. And I took a picture of it and I sent it to, to my team. I sent it to the executive that's, you know, kind of, in charge of electrification here at Evergy. I'm like, look at this. We have a BMW. We have a Volvo. Oh yeah, we have the Teslas and the Leafs and the Volvo. <laughs> yeah, old right? news. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, it is, it is. Yeah, and I think that that stuff's gonna come, you know, exponential growth, like as, as we see this. And so I think what we were talking about earlier, it's gonna be hard to keep up with it. We're seeing it on the, uh, West Coast, where people have queues at Tesla superchargers regularly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Tesla superchargers are not everywhere, but pretty much everywhere out there. Mm -hmm. There's so many of them mm -hmm. and they still right. have queues. And so I think that'll be the biggest challenge is keeping up with the growth of how many people find that EVs work in a lot of their use case uh, scenarios. Um, and plus, I, I always just challenge people, don't listen to a politician, don't listen to me, don't listen to your neighbor who is a fanatic about EVs. Go drive one, because yeah. once you drive one, it is crazy. Yeah, I, I, I like to say that the, uh, the, the strongest leading indicator of somebody getting an EV is their neighbor getting one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yep. Yeah. And, yeah. And probably going it, for it a ride. exposure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, that's very powerful. Um, you know, I, I would also say that, uh, well, I'd say a couple of things. One is that California new car sales were like 16% EVs last year. I mean, that's amazing what's happening out there. 
here in, uh, you know, our neck of the woods is more like five, six percent. But hey, you didn't have to go back very far. It was sub three for, you know, many years. So it's it's doubled. And we expect that the number of EVs in our service territory to double every two years through pretty much the rest of this decade. So we have 15,000 now. Six years from now, we expect to have 120,000. Uh, EVs in our service territory. That's pretty, pretty solid growth for sure. Yeah. It is. And and then there's going to be all these people that came into it new. And so the charging stations are full and they're all annoyed and they're going to be wondering while we're in the corner, taking a picture of a full charging yeah. station, they're going to be like, what is wrong with those yeah, people? Like, I've never seen this this busy, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I t- you know, I'm always, I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm always looking for kind of rules of thumb because I'm sure you guys always get asked from folks who don't have EVs kind of like, is this a good fit for me or what should I be thinking about? And, you know, I've kind of got that book ended in that um, if you want, and, and I think we talked about this a little earlier, if you want the experience to be every bit as convenient as having a gas vehicle, the answer is no, not yet. And then on the other end, um, if you have an application where the vehicle is going to spend its entire life within a hundred miles of where you live, and that's all you're ever gonna ask of that vehicle? The answer is absolutely yes. So I got my absolutely yes, and I got my absolutely no. In between those two is a big old muddy middle. Yeah, yep. you're right. Yep. Yeah. yep. I was already thinking of the muddy middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, hard. it's hard in a presentation or in a talk or in a casual interaction to kind of drill down into that muddy middle and, and, and come up with something definitive. So I'm always looking for, you know, additional kind of um, rules of thumb and tidbits that I can offer in those short interactions. Yeah, I'm working on uh, something where it's taking the average as, averages of a lot of stuff and that that's all in that muddy middle, mm-hmm. you know, in talking about it actually saves time to have an electric vehicle. And kind of the premise of it is, is, you know, the average person goes on a 250 mile trip with their family. So how much are they really, you know, DC fast charging? So if it takes a half hour, they have to do that twice on that trip. Well, now if we're fueling our car once a week on average it's like roughly close to eight days but if it's once a week how long is that taking us you know it it can take sometimes close to 10 minutes of driving potentially out of your way fueling up for four to five minutes and then getting back on track when you add all that up that hour that the average person spent on their road trip charging still, you know, is way less than that seven to 10 hours, whatever it is, you know, of fueling up all year long. So, you know, when people talk about how long it takes to sit at a DC fast charger, this also is saying that you have a charger at your house. So mm-hmm. like I said, it's in that muddy, <laughs> muddy middle there. It, like we do, it it literally takes one second to pull it off the wall and plug it in, and I'm in the house. Absolutely, and you know what we're seeing is that um, you know as these batteries get bigger, um, folks don't even charge every day, right? They they might charge every third day, every fourth day, depending on you know your daily commute. 
the, the data is very interesting about how much people drive when you look at it kind of on average in the country. It's like it's like 85% of trips are, every, every 85% of survey respondents drive 30 or fewer miles per day. Um, so we make a lot of decisions. I think maybe it's just human. Um, I know I do it. Uh, a lot of us do it. We make a lot of decisions based on like the, the three, three, two or 1% scenarios. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yep. It's just like the, you know, so many uh, Americans have these big giant trucks. How many, like what percentage of them actually tow? It's like, what is it? You're, you, like uh, 75% yeah, yeah, yeah. tow one or one. none per, uh, you know, one yeah. or yeah, per year. <laughs> and so basically it's, they don't tow. Yeah. But just <laughs> in case I'm going to have this giant truck. So, yeah. You know. So yeah. Well, I mean, I'm a farm kid, so I got to say, oh yeah, trucks are cool. They are. So, oh yeah, we got that going for them, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. I still when I mean we have two trucks. So. Yeah, <laughs> we have the Lightning and the Rivian, but you know when I still when I drive by an F three fifty, I'm like, oh man, I do miss that truck. <laughs> yeah. Know? Like yeah. It's just a big bad American truck. So. But being on so, the farm, potentially an EV. Well, I could probably have the argument an EV would work on the farm as long as you have. And enough, uh, you know, what charging, charging out there infrastructure, but you know, because like even in some farm applications, like you're not driving that far, and if you're able to plug right. in every night, maybe you're towing, you know, certain things, but obviously not big applications, but mm-hmm. you know, like yep. so, yeah, if you are that 25% that's towing a lot, yeah, it's probably not for you, that's mm-hmm. the right. you know. And those are, I mean, those are technically, those are medium duty trucks. By the time you get to like a three quarter ton or a one ton, you know, that's not even a light duty vehicle at that point. So, so, um, those are, those are, those are a few years away for sure. Oh yeah. 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 Let me, Hey, let me ask you this about, you mentioned the lightning. So we've got a couple of lightnings here at Evergy and I drove one for the first time, uh, over, over last summer. And, uh, I'm, so I've got a Tesla model three, that's my personal car. And, uh, when I, when I, when I punched that lightning, I was shocked at how similar that felt to my Tesla. I'm like, it's not as fast, but it's in the same area code. Um, that that blows my mind. Oh, yeah. um, it's it's about faster the than some Model Threes. It, well, maybe the, maybe like the the kind of the non-juiced Model Three, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, that is. <laughs> I mean, just. You know, growing up with trucks and having plenty of trucks and spending a bunch of time in trucks, I'm like, I'm not sure. It feels like it broke a law of physics for a truck to be that quick. Um, <laughs> but I was in it, and it yeah. was my yeah. foot smashed down on the pedal. Yeah. So I took a gentleman who loves uh, loves Fords and Lincolns, and his uh, son asked if he could bring uh, his dad, who's a little bit older. Uh, over to take a ride in it or see the Ford Lightning. I'm like, sure. And so I had him get in the front seat and I'm like, yeah, the thing's pretty quick. And he's like, yeah, okay. And I'm like, do you want to do a, uh, a launch in it? And he's like, yeah, sure. And I'm like, okay, put your head back, you know, yeah. on the headrest. <laughs> yeah. And I hit it and he goes forward and goes, oh no, oh, oh. <laughs> Yeah. And so I let off and he's like, okay, we, we can't do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I cannot believe that. 
<laughs> but he's a farmer, and so it was it was really cool to see that. I uh, talked to a guy in a plaid. He had just picked it up from the Tesla lot, and he was he was parked at uh, at High B, and he was going to charge it. And uh, I talked to him. I said, "Have you mashed it yet?" And he's like, "What are you talking about?" I'm like, "Have you?" He's like, "Oh yeah." He goes, "I can't do it when my when my wife's in the car because she will." Yeah, and, and I, I mean, I believe it, right? Because when you talk about a zero to 60 that begins with the number one. Um, yeah, it's I, I have not experienced that one yet. No, not the plaid. No. And it's funny, though, because, you know, personally, I think that, you know, we kind of stair stepped it up like we went from the the Tesla, the older Tesla Model S, and then we had the X, and then, you know, we got the Rivian. And so I think like our stomachs got adjusted to it because everybody else we take, especially in the Rivian, um, you know, and, and you do a launch in that thing. And, you know, people are like, oh my gosh, I think I'm going to throw up. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. oh, I didn't, it's, it's normal. It's a lot of G's. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, the G-forces are pretty intense. But I, I don't know about you, but I only, I only do that when, it's to demonstrate it for somebody. I say, I don't drive like this by myself because I'm paying for the tires. Yeah, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You I, must not be paying for the tires. Um, no, no, <laughs> no, you, you're the one that takes care of that. So that's, uh, I just, I mean, I, I grew up a car girl. I, you know, my dad, I, he, I was an only child. My dad didn't have any boys to, you know, like, oh, look at that. Chevelle over there. Look at that. No, you know, and so I grew up a car girl. The first thing I wanted to do, I made my dad buy me a, a Z28 Camaro when I graduated high school because I wanted a cool car. And um, and I think he actually obliged and bought me one so that he could drive it. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I like fast cars. It's fun. So no time for the six cylinder, just like straight to the Z28. Oh, yeah. You know, that's there's what no one respectable drives a six cylinder Camaro. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my dad would tell me anyway. And it had to be red so that it could, you know, go faster, scientifically speaking, go faster. Right. Right. <laughs> so, but yeah. anyway, as we get way off topic yeah, here exactly. with Z28s, but. <laughs> yeah, I think what we're going to have with this uh, conversation is a lot of questions. Oh, yeah. I know after I go back through it and have a lot of questions. So is there a way that we can ask our audience to give us some questions and potentially have Nick back on in a later date once we gather that? Yeah. As long as Nick had fun today. <laughs> No, I, I I think that'd be I think that'd be a great time. Take it easy on me, but you know, yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> let's do this. Well, thing. we'll we'll go through the questions and make sure. So, um, but yeah, where drop them in be? the comments or shoot okay. us a message on a, any of our socials or you know even they can even shoot us an email at hi at allelectricfamily.com and and send us any questions and because I know yeah. And I, as we're sitting here and I'm looking at the 54 minute mark, I'm like, how did that time, that's, where did that time go? That's <laughs> so, where I was going with this because yes. I, I have a zillion more questions and I yeah. think we could continue to talk about this forever because yep. you do have a lot of knowledge about, you know, EV beginners and all that stuff too. So mm -hmm. I think that that would be a great thing. So if you have any sort of questions or anything that uh, we could potentially ask Nick on a later podcast. Please leave that down below mm -hmm. and we will uh, gather those all together mm -hmm. and potentially ask. But do you have any ending words on electric vehicles or 
the state of electrification now and in the future? Nick? Well, I, I think I would just say this, um, you know, because much is made about the electric grid. I'm the utility guy, right? So I got to talk about the electric grid. Um, and, and, and much is made about the electric grid and is it going to be capable of handling all of these EVs when everybody has an EV? And, and the point to be made here is that everybody's not going to have an EV um, and certainly not, not soon. Um, this is an evolution. It's not a revolution. We talked about numbers today that are pretty fierce, you know, doubling every two years. Well, you know, we started at zero, right? So there, there's, there's a difference between going from, you know, 0.2% of cars on the road are EVs to 0.4. That's, that's a doubling, technically. That's way different than going from 15% to 30%. This is an evolution. It's going to occur over decades. And Evergy, like other utilities, our jobs are to manage the grid, and that's exactly what we're going to do. I feel like that's a, a period, like we're, we're going to yeah. just make it happen. I like it. I like it. But we really appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk to us today. Like we said, just lots of information and, and a lot of, of conversations to be had. So hopefully we will be able to chat with you again. Thanks for having me and uh, look forward to that. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Find all of our show notes at allelectricfamily.com slash allelectricconversations. Be sure to connect with us on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at All Electric Family. Find us on Twitter as All Electric Fam. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this story, please be sure to share it and hit that subscribe button. Leave a review and help inspire others to hit the road. Until next time, stay charged.